You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Rare to have a moment that may actually change a league forever. It's rare to see precedent set, and it's rare to see a quarterback with the status of Deshaun Watson do what he's doing. But the league may be forever changed because of it. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, we're presented by Progressive Insurance. Can I have a bunch of great guests for you tonight on the Goodyear Hotline? And Sarah... Everything's changed for the NFL in my mind because Deshaun Watson on the heels just months after signing a massive four-year extension with the Houston Texans for four years, $156 million, through all of the drama we've heard about, he now comes out and says, hey, he wants to be traded. And this is an incredible precedent-setting moment for a quarterback to come in and say, don't care about the contract, don't care where we've been, don't care where you're going, I don't want to be here. And it's a sign of how quickly things have fallen apart in Houston, but also a sign of player empowerment to the likes we've never seen in the NFL. This is the LeBron James taking my talents to South Beach moment. In the NFL, something we never thought we would see in the NFL. It wasn't that long ago that we were using the power dynamics and the individual contracts in the NFL to explain away everything from player movement to why franchise quarterback types don't move to why prominent NFL players wouldn't speak up about Kaepernick, right? I mean, that was one of the things that Aaron Rodgers, in a very long interview with our own Mina Kimes, called her back after the fact and said, you know, I'm not comfortable giving you no comment on that. I'm going to tell you the truth, which is it's difficult for any of us to feel comfortable making bold statements that go against our league because we have no power, because we don't have enough in guaranteed money, because we can always be told that the team doesn't need us because it's so easy to move on from any individual in a sport like football. All of that is different now. And we saw that not that long ago when we had crazy quarterback chaos during an offseason. And we thought, wow, when was the last time you saw this much movement at that position? And some of that was just contracts coming up at the same time. Now what we're seeing instead of that is, is Aaron Rodgers going to leave with that many years left and that much status? Deshaun Watson is going to leave. There's no chance they're saving that now. And you look around the league and you start to realize that whether it's NBA-influenced or not, or whether it's the power of of a number of different factors coming together, all of a sudden the NFL is not stuck in the old ways where if you're on a team, that's where you are until they want to get rid of you until your contract comes up. And it's a staggeringly different moment than Carson Palmer years ago who went to the Bengals and said, you know what, I've been here a long time. I don't want to be here anymore. Trade me. That's different because you're talking about a quarterback that's 24. Whoever acquires Deshaun Watson is going to be acquiring their starting quarterback for likely the next 10 to 15 years. That's the sort of uh, opportunity that rarely presents itself. Now, the Texans put themselves in this situation. We all know that they hired uh, Nick Azario. As you just heard in the Sports Center update, uh, Deshaun Watson hasn't had any conversation with them. But the Texans also now have a new head coach, and that's David Culley. He was hired to come over from the Ravens, and, uh, and now he will get the keys to the organization, but it sounds like the rift was already so wide that no matter who they hired, it wasn't going to be somebody that could save this relationship, partially because the hiring process that we've heard so much about that wasn't inclusive to Deshaun Watson. So now they have a a head-scratching head coaching hire for many of us, and they've got a quarterback that's going to be walking out the door. Yeah, I've seen some smart football minds talk about how much they're fans of David Culley and the work he's done, and I've seen some pretty smart football minds question the move and look at some of the wide receivers under his tutelage and sort of the limitations of those players in the systems that he led. Um, He is the oldest coach in NFL history at the time of his head coaching debut. He'll be 66 to start this 2021 season. 
Uh, that's a long time to wait for this opportunity. He's been coaching in the league for 27 seasons and 16 seasons in various college coaching roles. Um, all of those things combined to make you simultaneously very happy for him to get this opportunity, uh, but also make you wonder how come I've never heard his name in the mix before and why was this the team that decided it's the time for him? Well, and I love, you know, as a Nashville guy, I love it when somebody from Sparta right outside of Nashville that went to Vandy gets a head coaching opportunity. But, Sarah, you you saw a little of this with Vic Fangio a few years ago. Mm-hmm. It took him a long time to get that first opportunity. We were curious what it would be like. Usually when it's a name most of us haven't heard of or haven't thought of in these circles, it's somebody that's young and up and coming that they've banked on a little too early, but they want to get ahead of the curve. In fact, we've seen some shocking reports as they were going through the interview process of, uh, you know, former quarterbacks in the league just willy-nilly. Josh McCown, right? Right. So all of a sudden they're just going to put in a former quarterback as a head coach. So, you know, we've almost become used to and desensitized to that level of shock and awe when it's somebody that's young, up and coming, they're banking on too soon. It feels much different in a league that seems to be younger and younger with the way that it runs these relationships to have somebody come in that is more established, that has been around the league for such a long time. I don't know why the Texans felt like this was the right opportunity, but obviously he got everybody fired up. It's just rare to see somebody come in that we've heard so little about and then seize this type of job. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. You can get some digital-only content as well as the shows. Uh, Yeah, I agree with you on that. And I I also think it can't be ignored that so much of what we talked about with this team and and Deshaun Watson's issues were cultural. Um, It was a culture that he didn't like. It was too many cooks in the kitchen. A lot of it seemed to have to do with Jack Easterby. There was a sort of uh, pretty scandalous story about him going from team chaplain to suddenly – moving all the the puppet strings at that team. And you saw when he hired Casario that that was probably the the last straw for Watson, not just because he wasn't involved in decision-making, but because he had been promised that he would be in on it as they made their decisions around GM and quarter and coach, and then wasn't. And that's hard to earn back once you've proved that. So you have to mention that this is a coach of color and that so many conversations around this team date all the way back to their previous owner before he passed using the language, letting the inmates run the asylum questions about people of color in, in the team and their coaching uh, interviews up until the point that Deshaun Watson sort of stepped in. So the fact that they do end up hiring their first ever black coach, a head coach um, is interesting because it also seems like they don't think this hire is going to save Deshaun Watson. And it's become very clear, of course, with Watson's, overt statement now and demand to be trade that this coaching hire will not save the relationship. Well, and this could just be the beginning of an absolute rebuild. And let's be real. uh, There's already some talk about what's next for J.J. Watt. What are the Texans going to do? They could look around the building. And this is something I dealt with as a Raiders fan. Like John, John Gruden gets in the building, looks around and says, nope, we're going to start this thing from scratch and we're going to rebuild the entire thing. That's got to be a hard pill to swallow for Texans fans that aren't Mm -hmm. that far Mm -hmm. removed from being a Super Bowl caliber team with a quarterback that you thought was going to set you up for a generation. I mean, that's just such a staggering change and such a quick fall from grace 
that I don't know how today, as a Texans fan, you can look at your favorite organization with any level of pride and feel like they've got the fans' best interest or building the organization the right way in mind because it is impossibly difficult to find a great quarterback. They had one, and now they're just letting him walk away because they couldn't have the common decency to give him the respect they promised him in the process. I, well, that, that and, and fits. It's especially terrible. This is like this is not as bad as if the Bears did this, which I mean they kind of roundabout did by picking Mitchell Trubisky instead of Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson. But if they were to acquire a great quarterback and scare him off, it's not that different from this team because you remember they were perennial playoff participants whose only flaw was they couldn't get the quarterback to take them that next step. Right? It was Brock Osweiler and Brian Hoyer and Ryan Mallett and Case Keenum and Matt Schaub. Like, they just couldn't take that next step in those most recent playoff appearances in part because they didn't have the quarterback. So they go get him, and they immediately scare him off. It's just, it's it's very sad. Well, obviously, the entire league now seems to be looking around wondering what their life could look like with Deshaun Watson. We'll break down some of that next. But also, if you are a fan of any team that stinks, This moment should scare you. We'll tell you why. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz Podcast. Sirius XM Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. And I'm going to get straight to some straight talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. I don't care what your favorite football team is. If you've ever lived through a period, not just a year, but a period where your team was admittedly hot garbage, you should be scared to death right now with the fact that Deshaun Watson at 24 years old, coming off the heels of a mega deal, has turned around and said, I don't want to be here anymore because the precedent set through this process. And and believe me, in a world where I love player empowerment, you just got to be real about understanding that if your favorite team has a quarterback in their prime and they look around and say, no, this this organization doesn't know what they're doing. They got their heads up their rear ends and it's never going to get better. I want out is is an acceptable answer. That's the precedent that's set. And I think that's why if you're a Jags fan and you think Trevor Lawrence is going to fix everything, you better hope you're building around him, Sarah, because if you're not, a few years in, he could he could look around and say, I'm just going to Watson this thing. I agree, except to say that Watson is in such a unique position as to be able to conquer the issues that usually prevent NFL players from doing this. And that is that the union is the weakest in probably all of professional sport. The NFLPA is because of the system with the hard caps and the franchise tags, um, the the limited uh, guaranteed money. All of these aspects make it incredibly difficult for a player to try to pull this off when compared to something like an NBA player doing it. They often have to essentially leave and act as if they've retired or be willing to sit out one of a very few number of total years that they spend in the league in order to have any kind of leverage and get back in. Watson is 25 years old, one of the top five probably quarterbacks in the league, and is one of the very few that can be in a position to do this. Uh, it's 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 not something that I think will make for a massive pivot point in the league, except for those who can be up at his caliber, because it wouldn't even work, I don't think, for the best wide receiver in the league. What we saw with Antonio Brown was a dumpster fire that most players would be unwilling to get into in order to push for a move. Although what's sad is that it worked for him, and so maybe there are others that are willing to make that kind of sacrifice to get what they want. 
Well, you're a thousand percent right that it only works for quarterbacks and it only works for a select few quarterbacks. Young, I agree. Yeah. I agree with all of that, particularly young quarterbacks. The the hardest part is that I use Trevor Lawrence as a specific example because everybody believes he's going to be, you know, he's the, I, I would say, the highest touted prospect that we've seen come out of the draft since Andrew Luck or Peyton Manning. Take your pick. So, you know, th- there's a belief that he's going to make the Jaguars immediately relevant. Well, that's what you're hoping for if you land the home run in the first round of the draft. You hope you get your guy that suddenly, you know, you're into your second contract. You feel like you've got long-term hope. You've got long-term promise because you've got that one position, the hardest position, I think, in all the sports to figure out. You've got it figured out. It means so much to your franchise. What we see from Deshaun doing this is that player empowerment mindset that comes in, and now it's got to make you nervous. Like, as a Raiders fan, if the Raiders hit a home run on the first pick in the draft somehow and they get the, the quarterback of their future, you still better be puckered up because you don't get the rest of it right. I mean, there is this sets that precedent. So you're right, it only affects a few players, but those few players have so much power to the hope that organizations and fans feel around their future that that's why I think it's so scary for so many teams. Yeah, I completely agree. And you look at a guy like Aaron Rodgers, who for years, the language around him, if not from his own mouth, has been this team is wasting one of the greats. They do not put enough weapons around him. They do not have a coach who makes the right decisions based on analytics and advanced metrics. They do not actually put in enough to make good the way they should with a guy who at this point has the same number of NFC title championships as Rex Grossman. Now he's lost a handful of them, and you can't absolve him entirely of his role in those losses, but most would argue that defensively and weapons-wise, they haven't done enough. And it's sort of just been assumed that he's there until they want to be done with him, and then they get rid of him, and maybe he ends up with another team that does what the Broncos did with Peyton or what the Bucks are now doing with Tom Brady, that that's all dependent on the whims of the team and not the player. That's not so anymore. And like I said, while this isn't going to be a precedent for many, the few, including maybe a Trevor Lawrence or someone like that after this, will probably be treated a bit better than Deshaun Watson has, right? A team is going to now have to say, we need to keep this person happy and not just rich because they might try to pull a Watson. Well, and it is so funny to me to think about, you know, the the fact that we've said for years, well, quarterbacks just don't do that. Whatever that is, that <laughs> right. that thing. It's, oh, no, quarterbacks don't do that. If I'm Aaron Rodgers and I look around now and I see this moment, man, I don't know for, for all that he's accomplished and all that he's got in the bank and everything that, you know, is hosting Jeopardy for the love of God, right? Like, is there a spot for Aaron Rodgers where you're sitting back and saying, man, if Deshaun has that sort of individual power in this situation why do I not? I mean, at least it would cross into your mind at a different level if Deshaun does this sex successfully. Uh, it, to, to me, it's an eye-opening moment for Aaron Rodgers, and that's just part of the trickle-down that I think we're going to continue to see over the course of the next few months. Yeah, and then what else happens with the Texans? Does J.J. Watt want out? Does he want to go find somewhere where he can win? Do free agents ever want to go to the Texans, understanding that the people who have been there, including guys like Andre Johnson, who I think had not sent a tweet that didn't have to do with Crown Royal advertising since (laughs) April of two years ago when he decided to tweet that everybody should listen and that it's a it's a, you know, pathetic place to play. Texans are known for wasting players careers. I mean, you don't come out of Twitter retirement with with that unless you really feel strongly. And man, the number of players that came out of the woodwork to support Watson tells you this isn't a one off thing that's personal for him. 
And this team could be in big trouble trying to attract new people, which is why you wonder if, if their new coach hire is trying to offset accusations of cultural problems that have gone pretty deep there. That's some straight talk, straight talk, wireless, no contracts, no compromise. And, you know, I'll also take the other side of it, Sarah. I mean, think about what we saw this year from the Bucks. I know the Bucks were already a very good team, but there were a few players that looked at it and said, you know what? I want to go be around this Bucks team if Brady's going to be there. I've just got to believe that if Deshaun comes in, like mm-hmm. the amount of player respect he's going to get, not that he doesn't already have a ton of it, but from other players that look at it and say, wow, you actually did it. What we all thought was impossible, you managed to make happen. And now you're the quarterback of, I don't know, a team like, let's say, the Chicago Bears with a great defense. And all of a sudden, other free agents are going to look around. Maybe Allen Robinson rethinks whether or not he wants to play somewhere else if he's playing with Deshaun Watson, right? Like maybe oh, He's been thinking really- about that. <laughs> yeah. Trust I mean, me. He's been thinking about that. You start thinking about the trickle-down effect that comes from all of this. Like, I think that's why it's such a franchise-pivoting moment for whoever acquires Deshaun Watson. Now, again, it's not simple because it's going to take a lot to get him. So, right. you know, that's part of why I think the argument, as much as the reports continue to float, that he's he would waive his – or he would accept a trade, I should say, uh, to the Jets. Part of the reason I think that's virtually impossible is there's just not enough talent on that roster and they're going to have to give up so many draft picks he'd be going to another team that's going to be four and 12 right like I would think if you're going to to allow yourself to be traded here this is also your moment to put yourself in a situation where I don't know maybe you can win a bunch of games so you know I'm curious to see how that that leverage that will have to be paid for Deshaun Watson in exchange affects where he can actually end up 100% like will he actually be in a better situation he does have a a uh, 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 no trade clause so he can say i don't want to go there but at some point it's going to have to work for both sides or else he'll be stuck with the texans which is where we know he doesn't want to be uh so yeah that the, the sort of um maneuvering he's given them two options very clearly the jets and the dolphins and my guess is that he might end up with the dolphins it's so it's going to be interesting to say as much as he says that now as Adam Schefter said earlier today on ESPN radio about 25 teams in the league today are making offers so uh, is, let's see how it goes now that he's going to get a bunch of steak dinners and phone calls in the process so uh, we'll see and we'll keep breaking down what the the latest is with Deshaun Watson but coming up we're going to get you a jaw-dropping stat about an NBA star in discusses future with one of our favorite experts we'll do it next Spain and Fitz on ESPN radio Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. Don't forget to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast where you can get some digital only pre-party, after-party content, and of course, any of the segments that you might miss during the show. Uh, Yesterday, we marked the 25%, the quarter mark of the NBA season. We have a lot of questions about the teams that aren't at the top, including the woeful Wizards. To give us a little help with that and some other topics, the host of No Dunks with the Athletic, Trey Kirby. Trey, thanks for coming on. Uh, thanks so much for having me. Thanks for the Grace Jones. What an intro track. I'm loving it. <laughs> uh, someone not loving anything right now is Bradley Beal. Uh, the Wizards have lost 10 straight games when he has at least 40 points. This is the first time ever that an NBA player has uh, watched their team lose 10 in a row while scoring 40 or more. Um, is 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 there any reason for him to continue to be loyal to this situation and power through? I wouldn't blame him if he wanted out, but he seems to be a stand-up guy. You know, he signed his extension, his big deal, back in October 2019. He said, I want to be a part of the next good Wizards team. I want to bring this team back. And now 
It's less than two years into it. He's saying, it's tough. We want to win. I want to win. This is why I stayed. I want to win here, but I don't know. It does feel a little bit like Groundhog Day. Every night you're tuning in, you're seeing Bradley Beal. Look at him. He's got 30 through three quarters. He's got 40 through three quarters. And then you check the score, and the Wizards are down by 15, down by 20. The points seem to pile up for Bradley Beal. They're not meaning much if he wanted if he wanted to take a chance somewhere else, I wouldn't blame him, but I don't know. He did sign the big deal. It does seem like he's committed to the team. He's being, he's being a good guy about it, but uh, it's got to be frustrating. You see him on the bench looking sadder than anyone's ever looked. There are multiple instances of this throughout the year. It's been a year's worth of Bradley Beal looking sad on the sidelines. So it's a tough scenario in Washington. I didn't think they were going to be the worst team in the league, but that's what it's starting to look like. Well, Trey, you mentioned that he wanted to win in Washington. What does that really mean, though? Because he had to be smart enough to look around the organization and the standings in the East other teams and realize that win in Washington doesn't mean you're going to be a top three or four team. What did he expect? That's a great question. And, you know, the history in Washington hasn't been the toughest uh, since Bradley Beal has been there. They've made it to the conference semifinals once upon a time. After that, they lost in a first-round playoff series, but they thought they had one, and since then, it's been nothing. So winning in Washington at this point, I think, means making it back to the playoffs. Uh, you know, they were excited to get invited to the bubble last year. I was jealous that the Chicago Bulls didn't get invited to the bubble last year. I was jealous of where the Wizards were. Now we're a month and a half into this season, and it's looking like things have completely flipped. I don't know how the Wizards can win, but I do think that – uh you know, with Bradley Beal, he is an all-NBA caliber player. That's a great place to start if you're trying to win, but does he want to stick it out until they can actually put some more pieces around him with his big deal, with Westbrook's big deal? It's tough for Tommy Shepard to figure out a, a, a mix that's going to benefit both of these guys right now. Well, and of course, you mentioned Westbrook. He might have been expecting he signed that deal and Wall returns from injury instead of Westbrook ending up there, who now looks like a, a massive albatross. We're talking to Trey Kirby no dunks pod with the athletic. You mentioned the Bulls, so let's talk about them. I've tried to actually watch them this year. I've put in an effort. I've DVR'd games. I've enjoyed it. I've smiled. I've even laughed a time or two watching the Chicago Bulls. How excited should I get about a new front office and coach that make them actually watchable? And how much should I temper that based on the fact that they're still not relevant at all? Well, Sarah, I don't know if you've heard the news, but the Bulls are back. 100% back. You can throw it all in. They're a competitive team right now. Like you're saying, even when they were going through the four-game losing streak a couple of weeks ago, the games were entertaining. They were fun. They were competitive. And they were close losses. You know, this is a team that had two years of being at the bottom of the NBA. They're still young. They're still trying to figure out how to win. So when you lose four games in a row, yeah, it sucks. But at least it was fun. At least it was only a combined 11 points. Then they put together a winning streak. That's when you knew the Bulls were back. Uh, compared to the previous couple of seasons, we've seen times when the Bulls could have easily folded, and they had in the past. That doesn't seem to be the case right now. We'll see how they respond to this Wendell Carter Jr. news and how they progress going forward after a couple of tough losses against the top of the NBA. But I'm encouraged to see a Bulls team that really looks competent and really looks like they're connected to each other and is having fun playing basketball again. In some ways, everything you said, Trey, right there just sort of mirrored the conversation from about a week and a half ago I felt like we were having about the Knicks. You know, just seeing competent basketball has New York Knicks fans excited. How good can this team actually be by the time the year's over? 
we're talking about the Bulls. They can. I. I'm. For me, I think they can go to the Eastern Conference Finals. I don't really think that's going to happen. I will be happy making the play-in tournament. I want to be near 500 is what I would expect <laughs> as a good season for the Bulls because it's time to just make a little bit of progress. They've had a lot of draft picks. They've had a lot of building. They've had a lot of time to at least get to know the players, even if they're not necessarily all sharing the court at the same time together. Uh, it's time to take a step forward. If that means being the 10th seed and getting excited for a winner-takes-all versus the 7th seed, <laughs> then I'm here for it. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, talking to Trey Kirby of the No Dunks Pod with The Athletic. How about the Miami Heat? Sitting at 6-11 and 11 right now. Jimmy Butler hasn't been available. This is a team that there was so much excitement around was that just the bubble? Because I know a lot of Miami fans who will jump down your neck if you say that. But, you know, is is what we're seeing in terms of progress from Bam and Tyler Hero and everything enough to believe in them being able to come back in the second half and, and the last, I guess, three quarters of the season? I've got a lot of faith in Jimmy Butler. Uh, maybe his powers were overestimated after the bubble. Maybe it was the perfect scenario for him to just go there, brew coffee, and play basketball. <laughs> seemed to work out for Jimmy Butler. Um, but he's only played six games so far this season. Tyler Hero has only played ten games. He's returning tonight. Once they get those couple of guys back on the court, back in the swing of things, you have to imagine that things are going to turn for the Miami Heat. Adelio has been solid. He's been a really great player. He's going to be knocking on the door of another all-star appearance, no doubt about it. But the way that their lineups have just been decimated due to the health and safety protocols, due to injuries, they haven't been able to get the continuity that was so beneficial to them in the bubble. So, yeah, they were their powers were certainly heightened by the heat culture there in the bubble together. But now that they've been having to play a bunch of guys who – weren't part of that team who were on the fringes of the rotation. Now that those guys are getting major minutes, it's a little bit different. Once they get healthy, I've got a little faith in the heat. The only question for them is going to be if they lose so many games in the meantime that they're behind the eight ball when it comes to clawing their way back into things. Like you're saying, we're already a quarter of the way into the season. Somehow we've only played a month. Uh, all I'm saying is we have just spent more time talking about teams completely out of the playoff race than I ever <laughs> would have imagined. So let's flip to the other side of it. The Utah Jazz are absolutely unstoppable so far. 14-4, come on. Uh, but how realistic, how sustainable is what Utah is doing to you? I like what I see from Utah. They're a team that has been together for a long time, and it's paying off in the way that they're able to get a lot more three-point shots this year. Mike Conley's having a career best year from the field in pretty much all aspects, which is opening things up for Rudy Gobert to run wild on the rebounds, on the offensive glass, catching the lobs. And Donovan Mitchell has really found a balance between passing and scoring the ball. I think that they're for real. They always are going to play defense. Right now they're shooting the ball incredibly well. They're the best three-point shooting team in the league. Will that hold up for the entirety of the season? I don't know. But I think that they're at the very least going to be having home court advantage when it comes to playoff time because – Jazz are always good. It feels like every single season they put together a 10-game win streak at some point. just happens to be right at the beginning of the year now, so all the eyeballs are on, and I'm sure the Jazz fans are loving it. They're always complaining nobody talks about the Jazz. People are talking Jazz now. It's good stuff. Spain and Fitz, we're talking to Trey Kirby. You can listen to him on No Dunks with The Athletic. The problem is that we see these runs from teams that that get us excited in the regular season, whether it's the Blazers or the Jazz or even the Clippers – and then what happens in the postseason tends to look similar. How do we feel about teams like the Bucks or the Sixers 
or the Jazz in terms of actually being able to surpass the teams that we kind of have that gut feeling about, like maybe the Nets or the Lakers? Well, I'm with you on that. Uh, And that's always going to be the question. And you throw the Clippers in there, I think it's perfect, too. They're playing incredibly well. You've got Kawhi Leonard and Paul George are both 50, 40, 90 guys averaging 25 points a game. Unheard of. But everybody's saying, okay, that's fine. We also saw you blow a 3-1 lead a couple of months ago. (laughs) And that's really what you're going to be measured against. Because when it comes down to it, you can stack up the W's in the regular season as much as you want. Home court advantage is certainly valuable. But when it comes down to seven games and the other team game planning for you every single night, trying to figure out the way to take away what you do best, what are the counters going to be? And that's the question. The Bucks haven't seemed to have a counter punch for the past couple of seasons. The Clippers, they're coming into their second year. Maybe they get a little bit more benefit of the doubt, especially with a coaching change. And same for uh, the Philadelphia 76ers. So I think have been great so far. And I think uh, the new additions, from the coaching staff to the front office to the personnel is working out, but you got to see it in the playoffs. We've seen Joel Embiid look like the best player in the league at times, and we've seen him not show up quite the same way in the playoffs. We've seen the same from Giannis. We've seen the same from the Clippers stars. So, yeah, uh, the regular season success is nice, but when it comes down to it, you got to do it in the playoffs. That's right. You got to do it in the playoffs, and uh, we will see if any of these teams that we're hyped about right now can do it against the best when that time comes. Hey, thanks for the insight, Trey. Appreciate it. Thanks for the enthusiasm about the Bulls. It's been a long time. I like to feel that little bit of hope. Oh, Fitz, shut up. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Trey. The Bulls are back. (laughs) You can check them out on No Dunks with the Athletic. Hey, speaking of checking out, real quick, while you're near a, a, a TV or your phone, uh, check out that UConn-Arkansas game. It's near the end. It's very close, and Paige Beckers has just passed Brianna Stewart for the most points through the first 10 games in UConn freshman history. She's going to be real good. Coming up, uh, we'll talk more about Bradley Beal. Could his future lie with a former NBA champ? Plus some interesting comments about a Beal teammate. It's next, ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Talk about Bradley Beal, and man, it's hard to tell when you've crossed the line between loyalty and it's a good thing give your team some time to build around you give them a chance to take advantage of your talent and loyalty where eventually Kendrick Perkins is telling you on Twitter it's been too long get out get out while you can (laughs) and that's where Bradley Beal is man dropping 40 points in each of the 10 games that he's last scored 40 plus they've lost Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. You could say big when you bundle your auto, home, motorcycle, RV, or boat. Visit Progressive.com. So as we talk about Beal and his sadness, the sad faces on the bench, I'm sure there are memes galore that are going to come out of this season for as long as he is there with the Wizards. But if he is to leave, part of that may be because of expectation versus reality. And you asked a really smart question to our guest, Trey Kirby, in the last segment. What did he expect, right? The the Wizards have not been in the mix very recently. So when he signed that deal, what did he expect? Loyalty, money, stability, but also probably John Wall coming back from injury and them being the one-two punch. And instead, because of the trade, he gets Russell Westbrook, a guy who on paper last year did some really good things, but this year is so poor that Tim Bontemps, ESPN NBA writer, was on the Hoop Collective podcast saying this about Westbrook. He looks horrible. And, I mean, this is a, I mean, he at this point is the single most damaging player in the league and mm. is a millstone wow, that for that. For the single most damaging player. I mean, it's, I don't even think it's a conversation. I mean, he's, he's an absolute train wreck and he has the ball all the time. And 
you look at where this team is headed and you're looking at a hundred and, you know, I guess we're now a quarter of the way into the season. So we're down to $120 million over the next two and three quarter seasons that he's owed. I mean, it's, and, and a pick going to Houston on top of it. I mean, that is a, that is a rough looking transaction at the moment. And it's hard to see where this turns around. And Fitz, we saw the other night that Beal looked like he was supporting Wall when Westbrook and Wall got into it. The two guys traded for each other, trash-talking, and it looked like Bradley Beal was staring down Westbrook, his own teammate, siding with his former teammate. Awkward is, is uh, uh, you know, an understatement. Well, and you know, I'll say, in fairness, I probably didn't put enough stock in my mind to what that relationship meant for Wall and Beal together, right? You know, you've got somebody that you're close with and you think that, hey, maybe we're not going to be the best team in the East, but we'll be competitive in the East and we'll get to have a blast doing it. And, you know, maybe we can do something special and you never know. Like, that's a much different mindset than what he's dealing with now. So I I can say that I think all of that, the environment around losing, because the Wizards aren't just bad, they're horrendous. So maybe even if you went in expecting mediocrity uh, to play the way that they're playing now, you got to feel like that might be the heartbreaker. It's just always difficult to understand. We we come to the rescue in so many ways for players where we say, get out of there and go go get exactly what you want. Like we sort of pick and choose, not we, but society pick and choose. When we credit that and when we discredit it for players, I just think at some point you got to look around the landscape and say, okay, I'm going to take the money, the loyalty, uh, the security, and I understand that we'll be a decent team at best most of the time and not really in championship. That's enough for me, I guess. Right. If you're with the people you want to play with and the place you want to play, it's getting a little ugly now for Beal. And the question is, will he move? Will he get moved? Brian Windhorst, ESPN NBA insider, was on Barton Hahn talking about a very interesting potential suitor. You know, if you look at the team that they are fielding right now, if you look at their starting lineup last night, it's barely an NBA team. And that's one of the reasons why Bill is scoring so many points, because quite frankly, there's an incredible drain of talent that has happened because of those circumstances. A team that I think you've got to look at is the Golden State Warriors. The Golden State Warriors have this James Wiseman, who I think is a spectacular prospect. They're a borderline playoff team this year. If they miss the playoffs, their pick would be in the lottery their own pick this year. And then they have the Minnesota Timberwolves pick top three protected in this draft, which is also very good. You could potentially get Wiseman in both of those draft picks, and then you, you yourself in Washington to tank, and you could end up with three lottery picks in this deep draft plus James Wiseman. That is a rebuild trade. But that's a huge, huge, huge decision because you lose a guy like Bradley Beal. You may not see another player like that for 15 years. Yeah, it's... It's one of those things where you don't want to lose a player like Beal, but what are you doing with him, right? If you can't make good on having him, then why have him? Why not wipe the slate clean, try for a rebuild, get pieces, get a young guy, and see if you can do that with someone else? Well, and I think that's why the the most difficult place to be in the NBA is in the camp of, okay, pretty good, right? Because Mm. it's not easy to find your way out of it. And absolutely, the thought of Bradley Beal not being with the Wizards, I can't make a way that that makes a lot of sense. And I would, my heart would break for Wiseman, by the way, if he goes from Golden State, where you at least thought when he was drafted by Golden State, hey, if they get healthy, we got a chance to do something there, right? Now all of a sudden it's like, no, you're going to go to the other side of the country and uh, play for Washington. Like, that's less than ideal for, for Wiseman in this situation. But unfortunately, it feels like Beal's just 
sort of wasted. Like he's forgotten. And at some point, somebody that needs that extra kick to try and get themselves above Brooklyn in the East is going to aggressively try and acquire him. The question is, can the Wizards actually make good on the draft picks that they get? That's always the failed part of the conversation about trades that involve draft picks. We forget the teams that are bad are oftentimes bad because they don't draft well. So giving them more draft equity isn't going to suddenly make them better. So as much as we can give the Wizards draft picks and hope that that's the thing that that turns them around, I lack faith in the organization's ability to identify the right prospects with those picks. Yeah, and and it, it does feel like um, Golden State has been looking for the type of player that James Wiseman is in that position and in that role for so long that I don't know if they're quite, uh, but their window is only so long with the superstars that they have. So they might be willing to make that trade. Other teams I've seen are the Pelicans, who obviously recently picked up some stuff when they moved Holiday to the Bucks. Um there's people saying the Sixers, right, send Ben Simmons and a couple picks for Bradley Beal. Uh, if you give up on this Simmons and, and Embiid experiment, people are saying the Nuggets. Maybe Michael Porter Jr., Gary Harris, Bull Bull, and a pick, you know, that would work well for both sides. The question in the end will be if Beal is so disillusioned with how things are going that he actually wants out, or to your point earlier, when he signed this, did he sign it thinking, this is where I want to be, I'm loyal to this team, and I'm going to be sad when we suck. But that's not going to make me want to leave. <laughs> right. I mean, that that's it's an unfortunate situation that I don't think has an easy ending for anybody involved here. And again, there's that thin line between loyalty that we admire and loyalty where we're like, get out! Get out right. of there! Right. Uh, it's made and fits. Coming up, Desha- speaking of getting out, Deshaun Watson wants out of Houston. What's the Texans' next move? We'll get into it next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. And if it's on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app at Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And by doing so, uh, you can get some exclusive content available only to you right there. I'm trying to find where the moment of hope is right now for anybody that's a Texans fan. And Sarah, uh, we've joked about it in the past, and obviously it's it's funny that our two teams are tied together at the hip for history because of a, a massive trade that sent Khalil Mack from my beloved Raiders to your Bears. And I'll never forget that day. For all of the bad moments I remember in my Raiders fandom, 51-3 to AFC Championship loss, a Super Bowl <laughs> loss, I've got a lot of them, right, for all the tuck rule, for all of those. I think the loss of Khalil Mack was one of the – it ranks up there. It, it's in that same range – of heartbreak and disappointment because you suddenly realized that your team no longer had a chance. Like before the season even started, you knew you were done for the year and for years to come. It took the air out of my fandom. And I don't know that I'll ever forget that. I can't imagine what it feels like right now for Texans fans. Yeah. Well, first I can't imagine because I don't know what it feels like to have a franchise quarterback, not to mention lose one. (laughs) So as we're, as we're talking about the quarterback chaos that feels like it's impending in the NFL, even if it's just the Watson sweepstakes and it doesn't expand to Rogers and Stafford and others. uh, I, I'm still going to be very focused on if the bears find their way into this mess or if they just say, Oh, I think we're good. We have Mitchell Trubisky. Um, But no, I'm with you. I mean, it's difficult enough to hit in the draft. And we've actually, we're going to talk to Bill Barnwell later in the show. And he did a great story maybe last year or the year before about how difficult it is to, to make a good decision and choice at the quarterback position in the draft based on what you see at the collegiate level. It just, it's really difficult. Look at some of the best ones we've got. They are not 
one, two, three, four, five in the draft. Some of, look at Tom Brady, look at Dak Prescott, right? And so to hit on that position, which is the most important, and for him to be a great guy and a great community leader and a great player and young and everything you want and to mess it up. So I almost said the F word there to mess it up so badly that you almost make me say the F word because that's how bad it is to lose him. Man, I mean, I, I agreed with you. I don't know how you feel as a fan of this team. I mean, and you you mentioned the the quarterback aspect of it. And what you and I have talked about so many times, and I think people really understand at this point, is that even if your team stinks, quarterback, knowing you've got your quarterback gives you hope. And, you know, we, we sort of laugh and we, we tease Stosh, producer extraordinaire of the show, Chiefs fan, lifelong Chiefs fan. Stosh, Stosh's kids are not going to know what it feels like to wake up and think, oh, my team stinks because I don't have a quarterback for a generation. Like, that's, that's what you have. And it's so rare to find that, uh, that level of comfort and confidence in your team moving forward. It's why it hurts so much for fans when your quarterback is really good for a second and then all of a sudden may not be. I mean, we've got plenty like uh, Cliff works on the show. He's an Eagles fan. Like, there's a moment where suddenly you felt like Carson Wentz was the answer. You had hope. I, I'm a Raiders fan. Derek Carr has these moments where you say, hey, we're going to be just fine. But it's rare that you can actually put your feet up and say, hey, I don't care what else happens. I know we got a shot because we've got a quarterback. That's where the Texans have been, and that's what they have. And to re-dip into those waters for any of these trade scenarios that may give them a Tua or whoever else a draft pick out of it, that's still not a known entity, and that's what they have that they're letting walk out of the building. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're going to keep talking about this because obviously the Deshaun Watson sweepstakes is huge, but so is what the Texans decided to do with their head coach position and what happens in terms of them looking for who to send Watson to. Did they do it within their conference or otherwise? Uh, But I wanted to ask while we're on the topic of drafts um, to switch gears just slightly, there was a story in the athletic talking about every first round quarterback picked in the last 10 years and specifically how it might relate to the Colts dilemma, which is of course they lose Andrew Luck with no warning. And then Philip Rivers retires. Um, Are they in the market for a free agent? Are they going to look to draft their quarterback of the future? And based on some of the guys that we've seen go in the last couple of years, you know, how does that influence the next move they make with a roster that is a playoff roster and contending if they can get someone and slot them in that can compete right away? Well, and I think that's the the culture, one of the most interesting franchises to keep an eye on because of what you mentioned with their roster and how good it is. I don't think you can let that roster go to a maybe situation at the quarterback. Like, you got to be aggressive if on the Colts go out. Like, they stand no chance of getting Deshaun Watson. It'd be the same division. We know that. But if I'm the Colts, I'm calling every team in the league that has a decent quarterback to see what it takes to bring them to my roster. Because the Colts roster, top to bottom, I think would put them at the top of the division. And they should be a perennial playoff team. If they hand all that over to a rookie quarterback that may or may not be good because they're not picking high enough to get a sure thing, to me, that's just a risk you take on the entire future of where you're headed for the next three years. In this story, they talk about uh, how it's pretty much a crapshoot, and even though the success rate's not very high, it's still the most likely way for teams to get their starting quarterback. 23 of the 32 teams this season were led by a quarterback that the team drafted. 18 of those came in the first round. The outliers were your Raiders, Derek Carr and Drew Locke, who were second-round picks, Russell Wilson a third, Dak Prescott a fourth, and Gardner Minshew a sixth. Seven more starters were acquired via free agency, including Rivers to the Colts. Tannehill, Newton, Breeze, Brady, Smith, Cousins, and Bridgewater. Only Tannehill and Garoppolo 
were um, acquired via trade. So knowing all of that, that informs sort of the Colts, um, not necessarily that they need to follow the math or the patterns there, but whether they can wait till the 21st pick to get a guy that they think is worth competing with the roster they have now. I mean, if they wait to the 21st pick, they're, I, I don't have a mock draft in front of me, but they're likely going to be looking at Mac Jones. Like That's the sort of the quarterback out of uh, Alabama uh, that had a great year that is going to be a, uh, that sort of a quarterback in that range. And uh, Mac may turn out to be great, but, that, man, that just feels like such a roll of the dice. Like You're talking a significant drop-off between somebody like Justin Fields, not even Trevor Lawrence, but somebody like Justin Fields. When you get into Mac Jones, uh, th- there's so much less proof of concept on who they're going to be as a pro and uh, how they'll shape out that it's just a much bigger gamble. I'm so risk-averse, Sarah, at the quarterback position. Like, you feel this as a Bears fan, too. I mean, uh, you guys, it feels like for a long time, have been one great quarterback away, right? So, you know, wh- wh- how aggressive yep, yep, do you yep. get? And guess what? We had a great pick in a draft with some great quarterbacks, and we blew it. It's Spade and Fitz. Sarah Spade and Jason Fitz were presented by Progressive Insurance. Speaking of the college game, which we are, I was surprised by the news of Notre Dame going back to independent. I did think there was a chance that their little experiment might have convinced them to stay. Did you? Yeah, I I really thought that in a kumbaya world, I think everybody hoped that that first date would turn into like long-term love. This feels like The Bachelor, like they won. Everybody won in that season. Not that I ever watched the show, but now they're in that actual spot. Well, Notre Dame didn't actually win because they never win in the playoff. Well, that is fair, but they got to Sorry. the playoff, right? Uh, you know, oh, low blow, low yeah, blow. Yeah, that's fair. It's fair, but now now the cameras are off, and and how does their love uh, continue? And and this is you know in, until the ACC comes in and forces Notre Dame to do something with all of their sports. Notre Dame football is not going to do anything. I mean, they they just do what they want when they want, how they want it, and they make so much money, nobody can stop them. So uh, I'm I'm bummed because I really do love the idea of seeing Notre Dame Clemson become an annual ACC championship type rivalry, but uh, I'm not that surprised. Well, and it feels as though if the system's going to stay how it is, there isn't a reason for them to feel pushed into joining a conference. If it was affecting them in any meaningful way to be an independent, and if it looked significantly different this year. Eh, then they might be thinking about it, but not so. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz were brought to you by Goodyear, helping you discover the road ahead. Goodyear, more driven. We'll get into that Houston uh, head coach and what's going to happen next in the Watson sweepstakes next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance, and we've been breaking down all that we can on Deshaun Watson demanding a trade from the Houston Texans. To continue that, we'll head over to the Goodyear Hotline where we're joined by Aaron Wilson from the Houston Chronicle. Aaron, thanks so much for the time, man. We appreciate you joining us. So, uh, obviously, there's been a lot of speculation over the last few weeks about whether or not this would happen and uh, whether or not he would actually do this. So, what was the tipping point from what you understand for Deshaun Watson deciding he wants out? Right. It's been this way for weeks. And so, lack of trust, really a irrevocably, I'm told, between Deshaun Watson and how he feels about the organization, the leadership of the organization, specifically Cal McNair. And he had meetings with Cal during the regular season, and they, you know, he felt like they had a good understanding and, in his view, a commitment or a promise that they would have input, that you know, he would be able to have some say, have some discussions with the organization during the hiring process. And then that didn't happen. There was candidates that he 
wanted them to interview, including Robert Sala, who was never interviewed, Eric Bieniemy, who was initially not on the interview list, then joined the interview list later. And by then it was too late. And now it's a situation where the apologies, you know, like the song goes, too late to apologize, in his view. That's an unfortunate situation. This could be the one of the biggest divorces in the history of the NFL. This keeps going this way. And I don't see a reconciliation happening. Because, you know, when you don't even want to engage anymore, you don't want to text back, you don't want to talk. I mean, basically you're ghosting the organization, and that's where it is. And I, I understand. I mean, he's lost faith. They traded DeAndre Hopkins. He learns about it on social media. That's a situation where they could have just told him that, oh, that was going to happen and explain it to him. And then, you know, it wasn't always smooth before he got his contract during the negotiations. They have a terrible year. They fire Bill O'Brien, and then it's messy for him at the end of the season. And then there's a ton of bad press that you guys read as well. Well, and so much Um, of it is about Jack Easterby. Why does it feel like they're inspired to give him so much power if the word around the league and all the – in-depth stories about him is that he's a glorified motivational speaker turned manipulator. Right. Yeah. I say that he has a close relationship and the owner has a lot of confidence in him. And that's how this happened. You know, where you have someone that, you know, one person, the owner, which is the opinion that matters. And then you have, you know, in some cases, you know, just to be pretty transparent about it, some of the guys, some of the people that have been fired have an axe to grind with him, so that leads to some of the the press, and you know that. So it's kind of like a to put it all together. There's an issue where there's you know created some enemies, had some people that want to you know say a lot of things, and then uh, it's left some hard feelings. And his rise to a prominent position, so you have people that are upset about that. And that's why they're in this situation, because it's a series of exits. It's been, it's been messy here. You know, you have Brian Gain, he's gone. Bill O'Brien's gone. And just so much change. And he's been here for that. That said, you know, I think some of it gets you know, blown a little out of proportion. I just think, you know, to write 7,000 words or whatever it was, I just, I didn't think, it, I thought it was too much. It's like, if you're here every day, like I am, a lot of this stuff, maybe I'm just getting used to it, but it just doesn't feel as dramatic. Right now it is, but I mean, when we were going through the season, it really was kind of, I mean, they were winning, but it wasn't like a bunch of problems. A lot of this has been, you know, after the fact kind of things where they're reconstructing. And it wasn't always, you know, you don't read a lot about this, but with Bill O'Brien, there was lots of drama and lots of firings and lots of, you know, messy stuff that would go on in the office and, you know, people being cursed out and things like that. But you didn't read about that. And I'm just saying there's, there's a little more to it. There's a, it's a little more nuanced than you would really, people would pick up on, but you don't have him in this pieces. And kind of as a guy, I'm here every day. I'm not writing a gossip column. I'm like very focused on facts, information, who's going where, who's cut injuries, Who's going to be traded? Who's going to be back on the team? Is J.J. Watt going to be back? And a lot of this stuff, I just found like, I mean, you would hear all of it. It's the kind of thing that normally you're like, ah, I don't think this is you know that big a deal. 
I can say there's things I knew all year that I didn't think really rose to the level of what we consider a story. Right, but and, here we are. We really, but yeah, but, but mean, here we are, Aaron, where where their franchise quarterback is demanding out regardless of any efforts to reconcile. There's obviously right, a big deal to something. Most, it's not right, gossip. Not, right. No, I'm saying that's what I've been reporting and writing about the whole time now, you know, since the disconnect got to this point. That to me is a story. But I'm saying that to me the SI stuff was a bit bit much. But yeah, the owner and the quarterback having a you know stare down, that's a big story. And that's why we're reporting on it. And I think it will lead to eventually, you know, if this doesn't improve, I think it leads to a trade. And that's where things are. I mean, it's a bad situation. And the most important relationship that he could have is a bad relationship. And that's Cal McNair, Deshaun Watson, man-to-man. And I don't see any reconciliation in sight. So where does he go next? We're talking to Aaron Wilson from the Houston Chronicle. Where does Houston send him? Where? Do, what do they want in return for him at this point? Like, how far down the road are they to figuring those things out? They haven't gotten that far down the road. They had where they're thinking about price points and how much they still hope to try to you know mend fences with him. Whether they can, it's a little early to give up because they don't have to. We're in January, so I think the time when you might have to think about giving up you know, and making the best trade possible, you know, it's right before the draft in April. That's when I would do it. But, yeah, I look at the situation, and I don't see it improving. But, you know, they don't have to do anything right now. As far as, like, initiating trades, things like that, people can call, but I think it's going to have to be at least three first-round draft picks. You're talking about a guy that's, like, MVP caliber. They're going to have to get a lot back in return to make a deal. And they don't want to make a bad deal if they do get to that point. So for your Nick Castillo, your first year as a general manager, after working for Bill Belichick, you get a lot on your plate. You got the big decision with J.J. Watt. You got Will Fuller, Bradley Roby, Deshaun Watson, and you don't have any first-round draft pick. You don't have a second-round draft pick. And you got a few minor cap issues. It takes a little bit. It'll probably be easy to clean up, but it's a lot of heavy lifting for Nick. Aaron, we're almost out of time here, so I wanted to ask you quickly. You said they don't need to be in a rush. They can wait till the draft. How much damage, though, is it doing to this franchise to have the continued conversation around Deshaun Watson wanting out when it comes to free agents and other players on the team? It hurts them. It really does because it's a distraction for many players. It's something that I'm constantly asked about, whether it's, like, their agents or publicists or, you know, family. A lot of people are – it's a preoccupation. And, you know, it can lead to – you know, whether you guys want to re-sign, whether other free agents want to come here. Because sometimes players want to play with different players. And Deshaun Watson's one of those guys. He's kind of like the Pied Piper. People want to play, for, play with him. And if he's not going to be a part of the equation or people don't think he's going to be, it does affect things. There's no way to underscore that or, you know, understate that. I feel like you have to take that into account. And it's left the Texans at a crossroads. Either work this thing out or rebuild without him. Aaron, we appreciate your insight. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. Aaron Wilson from the Houston Chronicle. Aaron, have a great night, my friend. All right, guys. Thanks. It's going to be interesting because Aaron, you know, points out that maybe these things weren't a big deal. But, Sarah, as we were saying, we got there. Like, we got to this point at some point. So all of these building blocks have led to this situation. And while I will uh, hear what Aaron's saying when it comes to the fact that maybe they don't need to do anything right now, I also don't know 
how far down this road they can go without getting something done. It's only going to become louder in the conversation, which is only going to make all of this more pressing to get done if they want to be able to move forward and figure out how they're building for the future. And the future may look very, very different for this organization with all of those stars deciding that they don't want to return. They don't want to be a part of this. This, the, The exodus is impossible to anticipate right now. Coming up, an expert will join us to dive deeper into the quarterback position, the wild offseason, and some possible trade scenarios. We'll do it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Back to Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz with you on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. The quarterback chaos in the NFL is thrilling because it's rare and because it may represent a bit of a power shift in a league that has not been able to see the individual take up arms against the larger team and league. And Deshaun Watson, for sure, is a very specific case of that, but it could affect and influence other players as well. Spain and Fitz joining us now to talk about the Watson sweepstakes and other quarterbacks that might be on the market. Host of the Bill Barnwell Show podcast, Bill Barnwell. What's up, Bill? Hey, Sarah. How's it going? Well, this is exciting, Bill. Um, As a fan (laughs) of a team that has been trash at the quarterback position for quite some time. It's always exciting when all of this stuff gets thrown up in the air because chaos is good when your team needs some luck or maybe a change. Uh, I'm not saying I actually have any faith whatsoever that the Bears would be able to land Watson. I just like other teams getting screwed over with their good quarterbacks. So uh, what, what what are we thinking? Do we think it's going to be the Jets or the Dolphins, or is there a chance that they're not going to want to go in their own conference? Okay. So here's my question for you guys, and I want to know what you think. The Dolphins, I see. Obviously, the draft picks are there. Um, the team is there, of course, since so this last year. When it comes to the Jets, I can see why the Texans would want to make a trade with the Jets because the Jets have a ton of draft picks. That's great. I can see why the Jets would want Deshaun Watson. He's really good. Do we know why Deshaun Watson would want to go from the most dysfunctional franchise in football to <laughs> what's been the second most dysfunctional franchise in football over the last decade, a team that has no talent at receiver pretty much, that has a outside of one very good offensive lineman, question marks on the offensive line. Like I, I get that it's good for both those teams, but I just don't see why it's good for the Deshaun Watson. And it's not the draft picks the and the cap space and the fact that they were not too long ago in the, in, in the championship uh, game. Yeah, I mean, like I just don't. I just don't see it. I mean, it, it, maybe if he wants to play for Robert Sala, who's a guy he's never played for before, I mean, maybe he's willing to do that. Maybe he's willing to give up all those, all the other options elsewhere. But I just think there's so many other places Deshaun Watson could go where he could have success, play for coaches he respects, and possibly win some championships. I'm sorry I keep jumping in here, Fitz, but do you think then that that's just a completely, that like some source is saying that that's where he wants to go and that's not where he wants to go at all? I'm skeptical, but again, I don't, I'm not Deshaun Watson. Maybe he wants to go play there. Maybe he likes New York. I, I can't say. But I do think that it doesn't add up to me. doesn't mean that it's not going to happen, but I, I, I'm skeptical of that report in a way that I'm not skeptical of the reports about my ad. Which I, by the way, agree with wholeheartedly, which is going to lead us. I'm just buttering you up here, but we're talking to Bill Barnwell, <laughs> to the Bill Barnwell Uh-oh. Show podcast. Your article on .com, you did a great job of breaking down who would be interested, who wouldn't be interested, and then giving up some viable trades that that would be solutions, one of which included my beloved Raiders acquiring Deshaun Watson. So, Bill, how like if my level of hope right now that Deshaun Watson could be in Vegas next fall should be on a scale of 1 to 10, should be where? I'd go 
one, maybe a one and a half. I mean, I, w- I would be careful. I would not want to get my hopes up. I would not go buy that custom Deshaun Watson jersey um, from the mm-hmm. Raiders uh, website. You know, if you get a good price on it, maybe. But, you know, I-, I think that when it comes to these sort of moves, it's going to come down to who's willing to go over the top. And, you know, there will be teams that come out of nowhere who say, okay, you know what? We've waited so long for, you know, the right guy to come along. Deshaun Watson is not the kind of player who becomes available more than once every 15 or 20 years in terms of a guy who's this good at his peak um, with years to come on a, what would be a friendly contract for the next four years. Like all, all the pieces add up here, a great guy, beloved the community in Houston wants to win. I mean, like, like there's no red flags with Deshaun Watson in a way there are for just about every other quarterback or every other player in football. So I, I do think that a team could come out of nowhere and say, Hey, you know what? We're going to give four first-round picks to this guy. We're going to give a, a trade offer that nobody else has seen since the Herschel Walker trade because this is the kind of player you would do that for. Spain and Fitz, we're talking to Bill Barnwell about the Watson sweepstakes. Let's say it was entirely about the best scenario for Watson, a team that would win right away, not about what's best for the Texans. Where would you put him? San Francisco. I love that idea. You get. You know, Kyle Shanahan, just this this dream offensive coordinator, or head coach, I should say, with the the perfect quarterback to to pull off what he wants. A guy who can run the ball, a guy who is incredibly efficient throwing the ball, who has not had a a coach making easy throws for him. This is a guy, by the way, for the last couple years in Houston, like they would run four screens a season, not like per week, not for a month, over the entire year. That offense was really Deshaun Watson making magic happen so frequently. So a guy, you know, creating opportunities for Deshaun Watson in scheme. So many playmakers there. So many guys take the load off of Deshaun Watson. But we know Deshaun Watson can hold up his end of the bargain. So I think just in terms of just like, you know, the dream football scenario for me where I'd just love to watch them play on the All-22 every week, I would pick San Francisco. Where do you think he actually ends up, Bill? Where do I think he actually ends up? I will say I think the Dolphins are the favorites. I think it just makes the most sense. I don't want to be contrarian. I want to throw another team out there, though. And it, nobody wants this to happen. But I feel like we're not talking about it enough. The New England Patriots are a team that does not have a quarterback, and they have a 69-year-old head coach, or, or sorry, he's going to be a 69-year-old coach in Bill Belichick, and an owner who is 79 and about to turn 80 in Robert Kraft. I, I don't get a sense that they're an organization that is sitting here thinking, okay, we're going to draft a quarterback in the first round, develop him for three years, and in 2024, we'll be ready to compete for a championship. I think they want to compete for a championship next season. And to me, you know, this isn't a trade they've made in the past. They haven't gone all in for a player like this in the past. But if you're ever going to make that move, Deshaun Watson right now would be the guy you'd make that move for. So I don't know why we're counting out the Patriots. Maybe they won't do it. But I feel like we need to be talking about them a little bit more when it comes to this process. Bill Barnwell, host of the Bill Barnwell Show podcast with us here on Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Don't forget to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast, iTunes, ESPN app, your podcast app. Bill, what about Stafford? This feels like um, the Bradley Beal of the NFL, right? Okay, you did your best together. We're all kind of cool if you just part ways. No one, no one's going to blame anyone for this. Just move on. Where do you see him going? Yeah, I think that's a really good way to put it, actually, now that I think that never occurred to me. But I'm going to steal that one. I'll credit you, but <laughs> I'm going to steal that one when it comes to Matthew Stafford. I sort of lean towards the Broncos, you know, a team that, 
you know, has the talent already in offense. They invested a ton of receiver. They have a, a defensive-minded coach, Nick Bangio, and they've spent the last five years just cycling through options to replace Peyton Manning. It just hasn't worked. I think they're a team where they see themselves as a playoff team if they can get their quarterback situation settled. I know they have Drew Locke. Drew Locke showed some signs of being a competent quarterback last year, but I don't think they're going to let Drew Locke stand in the way of being a competitive team. I think they've gone, they've been outside of the playoffs for too long. Uh, wouldn't shock me if they were an aggressive team, went and gave those two first-round picks to Detroit for Matthew Stafford. Wait, two first-round picks to Detroit for Matthew? That's what you think the going rate will be for Stafford? I do think it will be. I, you know, it seems strange, but remember, I mean, think about the Carson Palmer trade, right? That was obviously that great trade for the Raiders in hindsight, but that was a one and a two. And I think Stafford has a bigger market right now. I think there are more teams who are going to be, uh, you know, sort of going after Stafford. So you'll have teams who are going to be, you know, competing against you. You'll have the Colts in mind here. You'll have other teams. The Jets could be in line for Stafford. I don't think they're going to, but they could be. Um, You'll, you'll have teams around the league who are going to be interested in making that kind of offer. Washington comes to mind as a Stafford uh, candidate here, so I do think they'll get two first-round picks in the long run for Stafford, yeah. Wow. Spain and Fitz. What about Aaron Rodgers? Do you think he ends up staying in place and this is sort of uh, using the public in order to get some more information about just where the team sits on him? I think so. Like, can you imagine like actually trading Aaron Rodgers the year after he wins MVP <laughs> to start Jordan Love, who has zero career pass times. Like, like that's Oof. a Bill O'Brien move. Like, you are all in. <laughs> if that move fails, doesn't matter how good you were the year before, you're getting fired. So, like, I don't know. I don't have the guts to make that move. Maybe, uh, you know, Matt LaFleur and Brian Gutkens do. I, I don't have that in me. Uh, to me, it seems like they're, he's posturing. Say, okay, I might not come back. Maybe you guys need to invest in that second receiver that I asked for last offseason. Right. We got exactly where we were the prior year. It didn't get past the NFC Championship game. So it kind of felt like that was his move to get the organization to buy in more, to make them feel like, oh, yeah, by the way, we have this incredible talent who just improved his game somehow at 37 or 38 and won the MVP. Let's try to get the most around him before he retires. It's hard to imagine, uh, but at the same time, the way Deshaun Watson is handling this has me wondering if Aaron Rodgers behind the scenes might be like, listen, it's not about trading. I'm going to force your hand. I don't care if you don't want to get rid of me. I'm out of here. You've given you've given me every indication that you're not going to give me enough. Uh, Bill, awesome stuff. As always, looking forward to seeing your continued coverage on all of this. Thanks for the time. Thanks, Bill. Got pleasure, guys. Thanks so much. See you later. Bill Barnwell with us here. You can hear him on the Bill Barnwell Show podcast. Coming up, lots to think about there and lots of uh, what should be a wild offseason in the NFL to get to. We'll talk a little bit more about it next on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. I like chaos. I mean, I'll admit it. I like it because my team needs it. My team needs all y'all that actually made good draft picks and selected quality quarterbacks to spoil your chance with them and chase them off, giving us a chance at getting them. Or just that they go somewhere else and they can't capitalize it, which I don't actually want for Deshaun Watson because he's an incredibly easy guy to root for. So I don't want my Bears necessarily to ruin him, but I do want him to come here. And I don't really want him to go to the Jets and get ruined, but I'm okay with teams that are on the brink of success collapsing because of their own failures because that's what my team does year after year, and I want some company. It's Spain and Fitz. There's Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're talking, of course, about Deshaun Watson and the weird situation that the Texans find themselves in where they made an incredible pick of a top-five quarterback in the league at the age of 25 
who is easy to root for, who is a great teammate, who is an incredible player, who shined this year despite a terrible team around him and dysfunction at all levels, who now wants out. And Fitz, we talked about this, and I guess there's a real question there of how long they can wait to decide to send him off because if they want to take their sweet time and see what they can get around the draft and other things, they run the risk of more players on that team talking about the dysfunction, more players on that team uh, hearing from free agents, we're not coming there, we're not going to be a part of this. Um, They might be better off starting fresh and starting fresh soon. Yeah, I, I agree. And by the way, Sarah, I love chaos in the NFC. Like, you can have all the chaos you want. <laughs> I don't need any chaos in the... I want a clear-cut path, and I'm already dealing with a conference where I got to look, as a fan of the Raiders, I got to look at all of these quarterbacks that are under 25 right now in the AFC that are just so stinking good. Mahomes and Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen. I mean, Baker Mayfield, maybe he's going to turn out to be great. I don't know. But Deshaun is in that list, and, and to me, I think it, when you talk about the young quarterbacks in the NFL, he's the second best behind Patrick Mahomes. So if he could mm-hmm. go to the NFC... I'd be fine with that. But realistically, the league year starts March 18th. And that means to me, I think it's March 17th, actually. That means to me they need to have this done before then. And I mean well before then because it does impact free agency. Because part of the conversation that's going to happen is what is their plan? How are they building moving forward? What are they going to do to accomplish some sort of uh, rebuilding of their roster? I I think they've got to eliminate this conversation sooner than later and also know what their game plan is. Are they looking at a return of multiple... uh, picks in this year's draft or picks spread out over the next several years. That'll make a difference in how they approach free agency as well. So I don't think they can afford to sit around and just lollygag and take their time when, in fact, getting this done quickly will impact the way that they make their roadmap for the entire uh, season coming up. Yeah, and listen, I think you know what we're going to see with what happens to him, where he ends up, might have as much influence as his desire to leave. And by that I mean... Uh, If you remember Le'Veon Bell, we made a lot of proclamations about his influence on other players, and then his situation didn't turn out very well for him. I mean, now, okay, right? Um, But sitting out and then figuring out if he could be productive and all that stuff um, leaves you sort of wondering if he ended up coming out on top in the way that he had imagined when he started the holdout. Um, With Deshaun Watson, if he ends up on a bad team and they win no more games than the Texans, there's, there might be a question of whether he did himself right. I, I mean, anyone who's in the know about the culture issues there might say he's got to get out of there regardless, right? It might not be about winning and losing. Uh, but I do think if he works his way into a better situation, which, you know, James Harden's an example of that, at least as of right now, it influences other people who have at least remotely similar cachet and leverage to try to think about doing the same. Well, and that's the that's the slippery slope that I'll be interested to see how it continues to move forward. I mean, does this become more of a trend? And uh, look, I, I think it's easy to make a big deal out of Deshaun Watson and, and have it feel like it's hot takery. But uh, what is amazing to me, if you go back and think about it over the last hour, I mean, we had Aaron Wilson from the Houston Chronicle that uh, said it would set up one of the biggest trades of, of in NFL history, right? Uh, this sort of a quarterback at this moment. And Bill Barnwell just compared it to Herschel Walker, which is, you know, if you go back, if you're my age, you remember when Herschel Walker was traded. I mean, it was an entire draft class. And I've jokingly said multiple times that if the Raiders gave up their next two entire drafts to get Deshaun Watson, it's worth it because at least you know you have a quarterback for the next 15 years. Like I, I, I think as much as that's a, a joke, I, teams right now 
are calling the Texans, and they know that it's going to take a home run offer that outbids everybody else to get yourself a superstar player in this league. He's going to turn around the level of interest around a franchise in one second. That's the power that comes with the brand and capability of Deshaun Watson. That's why this is so significant. And there aren't a lot of players that have that power, but now that you've seen one execute it, it makes you wonder how other players with that same cachet will use their power in the future. Well, what's also kind of wild to think about is that Watson signed a four-year, $156 million extension last September when he thought he was still in the hands of one Bill O'Brien. Right? Uh, I mean, he was okay enough with being on that team with that guy holding the power of coach and GM. Right? And he was still like, no, all right, I'm going to stay here and make it work. And then in the time since that, Things have gotten so bad that he's now doing this. And you have to, again, think about the question marks around the name that keeps coming up. Now, of course, there are questions about ownership and opinions and culture surrounding McNair, but that Easterby name keeps coming up. And that sure says a lot to me about how they managed to chase him off. I'm shook, Sarah. As someone that (laughs) sat here and jokingly said multiple times that Bill O'Brien must have naked pictures of somebody to keep his job year in and year out. You think about how dysfunctional it has been under Mm -hmm. Bill O'Brien. And to think that Deshaun was like, no, I'll roll with Bill if that's what I got to do. And now it's like, nope, not rolling with this situation. Like, how do you downgrade from Bill O'Brien? I mean, that that is that's a a, just a shocking moment for the Texans organization to be in. And uh, it comes back to what I said earlier. Like, I don't know how the Texans have. Any hope. And and then I'm sitting there thinking about Bill Barnwell saying, why not go to the Patriots for him? And, and, and mm. you know, you think. No, about the, please. The, the, yeah, I know. It's like, <laughs> what no, have we be- done to deserve that? <laughs> that's that's it. The NFL will have finally broken me. I thought nothing could break me. Uh, but fine. Deshaun to the Patriots would actually break my will and my spirit. <laughs> well, I mean, good luck to your Raiders just facing those guys. It's bad enough right now, but at least Deshaun Watson was being wasted by a franchise that doesn't know what to do with them. You oh send him God. to the Patriots. <laughs> God, I'm just, you just take 15 years off. That's what I'm going to do. I'll just take Listen, a, man, like a you're hiatus. talking to someone who went from Brett Favre straight to Aaron Rodgers in my own division. Oh, my God. That's just yeah. not fair. <laughs> it's, it's... This turned into therapy somehow. <laughs> <laughs> We need to get a third host who's a Lions fan. (laughs) Oh, my God. The world can't handle that. And, you know, when you think about the Lions and Bill Barnwell mentioning Stafford uh, could, in his opinion, will command two first-round picks. Now, uh, for anyone that doesn't consume Bill's work, Bill is the farthest thing from somebody that uh, just throws out conjecture or hot takes to get reaction, right? Like, uh, everything Bill says comes with an educated opinion behind it. So, when you think two first-round picks for Matt Stafford, that tells you the market that's going to be there for Deshaun. I, I don't think three firsts is going to get it done. For anybody that's out there saying, you know, in their trade simulator, they're running three first-round picks, that's not going to be enough. That's going to be a good start to getting Deshaun Watson, and that's why I think it has to go to a team that is set right now to think that they can compete because they won't be able to restock the cupboard for several years. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Don't forget to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive's home quote explorer is changing the way you buy home insurance. Now you can go online, get a custom quote, and save both time and money. Learn more at Progressive.com. One of the things that we're kind of seeing across sports is player empowerment, which I love for the most part. 
Um, and in the NFL, I think is a positive based on what we talked about before them having one of the weakest unions and players not having enough power. In the NBA, it's sort of teetering on the edges of how do you build a team knowing that someone could peace out any time midway through a contract they just signed. So I think it's going to create, at the very least, lots of content going forward across all of these sports. Uh, speaking of content, Freddie and Fitzsimmons always gives you the good stuff. They're next. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.